All right. We've got a great opportunity to go to God's Word. And I've been particularly challenged by this passage this week. In fact, in a moment, we're going to go to it. But let me just say, we're in a sermon series going through a book of the Bible called The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And it's this great reminder that there's this historical account of what Jesus continued to do through the followers of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give eyewitness accounts to the life, the ministry, the teaching, the healing, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is Jesus now resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's poured out the Holy Spirit among the first followers of Jesus, and they are continuing to accomplish God's kingdom work here on earth. And the reason why we are here today is because of that Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways through women, through men. Last week, we took a look at Philip and how the gospel broke through into an area called Samaria, breaking down cultural barriers, breaking down ethnic barriers, breaking down barriers that humans had created. And we're going to continue to see that the Spirit of God knows no bounds and breaks through all the walls that we set up. So if you have your Bibles, would you open up Acts chapter 8? If you don't have a Bible, no problem. That red book in the pew in front of you is our pew Bible. We'd love for you to take it, have it in your life rather than it sit in the pews all week. If you're online, I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. It's on page 892. If you're here in the Red Pew Bible, this is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Book of Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. Luke the physician wrote this, and again, this is an eyewitness account of the spread of the early church and what that means for us today. So timely, as we will see. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. And now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom may I ask, does the prophet say this is? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus Christ. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. 
When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. Oh, there's so much here, so much under the surface. And for those of you taking notes on paper or on your phone, three headings, three sections I want to move through that will not make sense at all, and hopefully that'll keep you tracking. And the first is this, three, timing, truth, three. You have a lot of conversations with other people. But you need to know that there are potentially thousands of conversations that you have with one other individual that can dramatically change if you realize that three is the key number to every conversation on the planet. You see, you're going to go throughout life and you're going to have an individual conversation with an individual person. It's going to be a roommate. It's going to be a coworker. It's going to be a friend. It's going to be a family member. It's going to be somebody at the grocery store. You're going to have a one-on-one conversation and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of conversations that could be had if you realize that there was a third that longs to guide that conversation. You see, when you look at this text, when you look at this historical count, there's more than just two people It's not just Philip, it's not just the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit of God is present. And I want to show you something. Take a look at this. It says here in chapter 8, two different passages, verse 26, and then below in verse 29, it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. The reason why we believe Luke is giving that much detail giving little the, the type of road this is, is to demonstrate to us, the hearers who read this and hear this, that this is not a common everyday road that somebody would just go to. All of a sudden, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, also speaking through an angel of the Lord, speaks to Philip without giving all the detail, simply says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to this road, and this road is a wilderness road, a road that you typically don't go down. It is out of the way. It doesn't make sense. It isn't rational. And you need to know that in this moment, Philip had a choice. Well, no, I'm I'm doing my own thing. I'm on my own way. I've got my own plans. I've got my own destination. I've got my own goals. But in that moment, Philip acknowledged that he needs to allow every area of his life to be led by the Spirit of God. And so, in response, what happens, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it isn't rational, verse 27, so he got up and went. How many times do I, do we, do you miss out on opportunities where the Spirit of God is trying to tap you on the shoulders, trying to whisper in your ears, trying to get you to join the work that God is doing in somebody else's life, and we are so distracted, we are so self-centered, we're so wrapped up in our own things that we don't hear what the Spirit of God is inviting us to do, and we are unlike Philip who just gets up and goes. There's some of you who live your life open and ready with ears finely tuned to the Spirit's leading. And what God does in your life is so remarkable because you simply get to join the work that God is doing in the world around you. Some of you in this season, you are growing in this sensitivity in this season. You've shared with me, you're like, 
I don't know how to describe this, but I was at the street and I felt like the Spirit of the Lord was guiding me to just go up to somebody at the bus stop and have a conversation. And here's what happened as a result. Your life has so much potential. In fact, God wants to move in powerful ways around you. And God can do whatever God wants. And the way God works is that God works through people primarily. And before God does something massive or small, God invites you to be a part of it. And so here we have Philip who's open to the Spirit's leading, who realizes that every conversation isn't just between two, but between three, me and you and God, that remarkable things happen. Let me tell you a a personal story, a story actually that I I had heard uh, a close friend of mine, his name's Drew Walton, he might even be in the service today, he might be on campus, but you know, at the time he was a student at the uh, Loyola Marymount University, he was in the library studying. Some of you might have heard me share this story a couple years ago. And don't get confused with the first name Drew, a different Drew, Drew Walton. And uh, while he's studying, all of a sudden he, he just gets this prompting from the Holy Spirit and he senses that God is saying, hey, hey Drew Walton, uh, let, let's get up and go for a walk. Now he has a very conversational with God sort of prayer life. And so he says, sure God. And he gets up and he leaves his studying and he walks outside and as he's walking, he says, God, what do you want to talk about? And uh, he gets this impression, just this sensing from God, oh, I want to talk to you about one of your close friends, who at this moment in the story shall remain nameless. And so he says, oh, yeah, I love that friend. You know what, what do you want to talk about? And he sensed that this friend of his, God was saying, needed help. And so he began praying for this friend, and he felt led to sit down on this bench, and he was overlooking Playa Vista, the campus of Loyola Marymount University, and he's praying for this friend. And as he's praying for this friend, he, he felt like there was this heaviness, and he prayed more and more, and all of a sudden, ding, he receives a text message. That text message was from that friend that he was praying for. He'd been praying for 15 minutes for this friend, and all of a sudden the text message comes in, which was so amazing because in that moment in Rome, I had just sent him a text message. And the reason why I sent him a text message is because I had woken up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., and I experienced spiritual warfare. It was this heaviness. There were some things that had happened that day in Rome, some idol worship that I had seen. I had seen T-shirts that said some things about Jesus that I had never seen before, and there was this heaviness that I had woken up in the middle of the night. And I, Drew Sams, had remembered that this friend of mine, Drew Walton, had said, if you ever have moments in your life where you need prayer, where you have spiritual attack, even if it's in the middle of the night, text me. I was that friend that God had put on his heart 20 minutes before me waking up in a panic with heaviness, feeling this weight upon me. I text him and immediately he responds. He says, you're not going to believe this. I was just in the library. I just got prompted by God to to get up and go and to talk about you and to pray for you. I've been praying for you, and i got to tell you, halfway around the globe, the Spirit of God had united us in such a powerful way that the heaviness and the weight in that room just completely went away, and there was this peace and this fellowship because it wasn't just two guys texting. There was three of us involved. You have no idea what's going to happen in your life if you are open to being led by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's so remarkable. Take a look at this, this is, this is remarkable. In verse 29, it says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. 
How many of you own a chariot? <laughs> this right here, we got one, we got two, man, three. The 9 a.m. is going to be jealous because no hands went up in the 9 a.m. I can guarantee you in the first century, if somebody asked that same question, very few hands would go up. Very few people had chariots. To have a chariot meant you had power, you had wealth. And so we are introduced to this individual with some very specific detail right here. It says this. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, I'll get to that in a moment, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. This is the CFO of Ethiopia. This is the person in charge of all the wealth of Ethiopia. This is a person of power. This is a person of means. This is a person who owns a chariot. And the Spirit of God says to Philip, I want you to get up and go to this road, and now that you're here, I want you to run up to this chariot. Now, let me just put this in 2020. That would be like you on a beach cruiser, bicycle, you know, and a Bugatti goes by. See, I said Bentley in the 9 a.m., and somebody's like, no, 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 it's got to be a Bugatti. Okay, so it's a Bugatti. Uh, And you feel the Spirit of the Lord saying, go up next to that Bugatti, Rationally, it doesn't make sense at all, at all, does it? You've got to understand the massive uh, financial chasm that exists between a person on their feet walking on a wilderness road and somebody in a chariot. And this leads me to the timing of this moment. You see, when you are open to the Spirit of God leading you, you don't have to worry about the timing because the Spirit of God sees all things and the Spirit of God knows that if I'm going to invite you to be part of what God is doing, I know the exact right time. So in the same way that my friend Drew Walton, he wasn't like, all right, I've got to like, I've got to plan the time that I can be available. No, all of a sudden the Spirit of God put it upon his heart and it was the exact right timing because I was in need halfway around the globe. What's happening here in this text? What's the timing going on? Take a look at this. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was now returning home. There's so much under the surface of just that one sentence. Okay, Ethiopian eunuch. You know, we've got a a variety of ages in the room. Uh, Let me just say this, that uh, a a eunuch is one who has voluntarily in that time uh, made a choice to sacrifice a part of their body. Uh, This is somebody who has had surgery performed upon them. Now, at that point in the world, at that point in human history, there were people who would willfully choose to do this for personal gain. Now, all the scholars say that at this point in human history, there was this concern of people who were not part of royal blood, who would come up in the ranks. Uh, There was concern that there would be some funny business going on at the top in places of power. And so there was people who would uh, literally go through a surgery so that there was no potential for any of that. And so this individual actually went through a surgery, sacrificed a part of himself so that he could rise up in the ranks to work for the queen, to have that much power, to have that much authority, to be in that relationship with nobody worrying about anything going on. And in that pursuit of finding peace and power and significance, 
This Ethiopian eunuch who has all the power in the world, who is driving a chariot, who has means, who has wealth, who has the ability to read, had hit a dead end. Why would I say that? Because that person, in the height of their power, walked away from their job. It takes months to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Imagine that conversation of this person who's now in power, who's now in charge, who now oversees all the finances of an entire country, going to the queen saying, I need an extended vacation. Oh, what for? I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? There's something that I'm missing, and I think that it might be there. This person is spiritually searching. They are at the top of power, and they haven't found the peace that they're looking for. Another African theologian says it this way, St. Augustine, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. This person with all the power was restless. Now, I know that's a very specific type of sacrifice to rise to power, but isn't it true that there are many people on this planet that are willing to sacrifice themselves in different ways just to get to the height of power? They're willing to lose a part of themselves to get to the thing that culture says is power, is peace, is joy. And maybe you or someone you know has gone through that journey and you've gotten to the top, what culture says is the top, and you find yourself there and it is a lonely place, it is a heartbreaking place, it is a depressing place, and you go searching. So not only is this person in power having left the security of their job, gone to Jerusalem, that's only the first half of it. What does Luke say? Gone to Jerusalem and is now headed back home. There is so much under the surface here that you would have no idea. How many of you have memorized the book of Deuteronomy? Good. I haven't either, so I have not either. However, if you know Deuteronomy, there is one particular verse in Deuteronomy that specifically speaks to eunuchs. And it goes into anatomical detail and says that if you are like that, you are not allowed to enter into the temple and the assembly of the Lord. So why would I bring this up? This person who is spiritually seeking who their career uh, has not given them the peace that they are longing for has now gone to Jerusalem. They've gone to the temple and they found religion. I want to underscore religion, underline religion, religion that is based on the law. And this individual was turned away, was forbid, was, was not allowed to enter into and to worship to be part of the community. So they haven't found their peace in the power of their career. Now they're not finding peace in the religion of Judaism. And so now this person is left, hat in hand, still searching, still longing to be found whole, to find peace, to find joy, to find significance, to find purpose. And maybe some of you have experienced 
a rejection, a pushing away from institutional religion. And I want to underscore and highlight religion, which is about rules, which is about what you do for God, and God then owes you in return. It's about earning your way to uh, God's graces and God's love. Maybe some of you online, maybe you're not even here today physically because you feel like you've been pushed away by institutional religion. That's what this Ethiopian eunuch had just experienced. Three months, perhaps, of travel, and he gets turned away. Now he's going back home. Does he even have a job? And yet the Spirit of God was working in his heart and his mind because this is not about religion. This is about a relationship that the creator of the cosmos longs to have with every single person on the planet. And so this Ethiopian eunuch now in a chariot is reading from a scroll, from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. The fact that this person could even own a scroll meant there was tremendous wealth. The fact that he could even read meant he was tremendously educated. This was, this was so rare in the first century. And so, remember Philip? Yes, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'll follow. This doesn't make sense. A wilderness road? Sure. Go run next to a chariot? Okay. Here's someone reading from the prophet Isaiah. They'd be like you, again, beach cruiser next to a Bugatti, saying, hey, do you need any help? Now let's pause right there. Put yourself in the Bugatti. How many of you in the Bugatti, if somebody pulled up next to you on a beach cruiser, and they said, do you need help? How many of you would have the humility to say yes? The chariot owner, of course. Of course. So, there's this tremendous humility of this person who rises to power, who sacrifices himself to get to this place. Joy isn't found there, peace isn't found there, goes on this journey to find hope in Jerusalem, the center place of Judaism and religion isn't found there and is now reading a scroll and has the humility to say, yes. Sometimes you get to the end of yourself and you're humbled to the point where you say, yes, I need help. That is fertile ground for the Spirit of God to do powerful things in your life when you say, yes, I need help. And here's what's amazing. The Bugatti door opens. The Ethiopian eunuch opens up the chariot door and says, Come on in. Relationship begins. This is not a conversation, you know, through the the door of the chariot. No, this is now sitting side by side in this chariot. And Philip says, what are you you reading? Timing. In this moment, on his way back home, he is reading from Isaiah 53. In the book of Acts, this is found in verse 32. This is the longest section of Old Testament Scripture quoted in the book of Acts. So significant. I would love for you before your head hits the pillow at the end of the day to read all of Isaiah 53. Some of you are Jewish believers and you know Isaiah 53 is so significant in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this scroll, this text written by Isaiah 900 years before Jesus was born says this about a person a suffering servant, a Messiah, one to come. And he reads this. This is verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And that passage of Scripture goes on and says, by his stripes we were healed. And it talks about this one who laid down his life, this one who was cut off from the land of the living so that we would be brought into a relationship with God. And it speaks to this one to come and this eunuch. It's saying, who is this person? Is it Isaiah? Is it somebody else? And here's what's amazing. When you allow the Spirit of God to lead you, the timing is perfect for every conversation. And when you get invited into those conversations, it's your opportunity to simply share the truth of who Jesus is. Take a look at this. Verse 35, then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus who all the law and the prophets point to. The Jesus who says, I haven't come to abolish the law, even Deuteronomy, I have come to fulfill it. And beginning with this passage, he speaks about one who is God in the flesh, who was born with all the power in all the cosmos, who chose to live his life in such a way that he sacrificed not just a part of himself, he sacrificed his entire life, not for his own gain, but for the gain of the world. And I wonder if Philip, it says he began with this scripture beginning to speak about Jesus Christ. I wonder if he had him roll forward in the scroll to Isaiah 56. I wonder. I want to show you this. Take a look at Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 says this. And imagine yourself having just left your job in Ethiopia. You've gone to Jerusalem. You've just been turned away. You've just been rejected because of your identity. And it says in Isaiah 56, again, this is the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 and 5. If you have a Red Pew Bible, Rebecca, you look like you're there. What page number is that? 599. 599? Again, that's if you've got the Red Pew Bible. Listen to this. I, I wonder if Philip shared this passage with that eunuch. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord. Let's pause right there. Let me paraphrase. Don't let the one that you think is different than you, who was born somewhere else, who has a different background, who's part of a different culture, who is now joined to the Lord, who is the Lord of all. Don't say to this person, whoever they are, no matter how different they are than you, who is now in a relationship with God, don't say to them, as it says right here, the Lord will surely separate me from His people. What God has put together, what God has united to God's self, may we not tear apart. And it goes on to say, and it says, with specificity, do not let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. A dry tree is one that does not bear fruit. 
Do not let the one who has no hope for kids, for their name to be passed on. In a first century that was all about having your name passed on, the only way your name could be passed on was through your kids and a lineage, and it was so much more significant than it is today that your identity was what could be passed down in the next generation. Don't let those who can't have kids, it's saying. Don't even let eunuchs say, I am just a dry tree, I am hopeless, I am worthless, I am the end of the line. No, instead. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and better than daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Because of who Jesus is, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what the culture says about you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, full stop. You will have an everlasting name. You will have renown. You will have an inheritance that is far beyond any earthly thing, what you can own, what you can create. It is what Jesus now has in your life for all of eternity. And so Philip, being led by the Spirit, runs up beside the chariot. This person is reading from Isaiah that all of it, it points to Jesus, and he's reading about a suffering servant, and he shares the gospel, not about the law, but what the law points to, Jesus Christ. And he shares the good news And this eunuch who didn't find hope and joy in his career and surely didn't find it in religion now can find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in that moment, the highlight of the eunuch's life and the highlight, I believe, of Philip's life coming together, the breaking down the walls of any earthly thing that could be created, what does the eunuch say? I see some water over there. Is there anything that should prevent me from being baptized? And you've got to understand that that statement is so significant because it reminds us that the relationship that we are called to have with Jesus is meant to be lived out in community. Let me say that again. The relationship we have with Jesus Christ is meant to be lived out in community. So what the eunuch is asking to Philip We believe now he's put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is allowing him to speak truth into his life. He's allowing him to to enter into his life, and he's saying, you know, I've put my faith. Is there anything that should prevent me from being baptized? You see, you can't baptize yourself. It only happens in community. It only happens when at least one other person is able to affirm that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, we were called to community. And you've got to understand how significant this is for Philip, a Jewish man, now to be in relationship with somebody from Ethiopia as a brother in Christ. And next month, as we get into Acts chapter 9, we're going to see how the gospel of Christ not only breaks through Samaritans and into Ethiopians, it breaks into religious Jews, and it gets to Acts chapter 10, and it even spreads through Europeans. And you've got to understand that all of the cultural barriers that we've put up and all the lies that we believe that, that this relationship with God has to do with one culture are absolute lies. You see, there's this massive lie that Christianity is a Western thing. There's this massive lie that says Christianity is this European thing. 
I shared this in the nine o'clock service and one of my friends, Byron, came up to me and as a black man, he said, thank you so much for saying that because I had somebody, when I gave my life to Christ, said to me, what do you want to do with that white religion? And he said, I, I, I knew that person was just ignorant. And it reminds me of this great theologian from Gambia who's a professor right now at Yale and what he says, and he wrote this great book and, you know, and the, the book is titled, uh, Whose Religion is Christianity? And he intentionally uses that phrase because he makes the point that this isn't a religion, it's a relationship with God. And he talks about how as an African, how beautiful the gospel is, that no other religion can do this, that it actually comes into their culture and enters into the values of their culture and gives hope and gives redemption and gives healing and gives who Jesus is in ways that are culturally understood different than somebody would receive the gospel in Europe or in South Africa or, or um, I mean, in South America. I've been all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's so amazing to see how contextualized Jesus makes himself to be. You see, there's this distorted view that um, Western culture um, should be extended upon other cultures of the world whenever the gospel is preached. There's been a lot of mistakes that have been made in Jesus' name that we need to repent of. But the pure gospel of Jesus Christ comes into every culture, every place on the planet, meets people right where they were. For an Ethiopian eunuch, he was met by a scroll of Isaiah that specifically talked about a suffering servant who sacrificed himself for the sake of others, and he met Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a quick story of what happened uh, down in Costa Rica. I had taken a group of high school students down to the edge of Costa Rica and Panama just to show you how the gospel of Jesus spreads everywhere in powerful and contextualized ways. Uh, we joined up with this indigenous community. They were the farthest northern tribe that had migrated from the Amazon. Took a group of high school students down there. We backpacked in the jungle. We joined a family who had been part of this community for 40 years. They were Wycliffe Bible translators. They had translated the entirety of the Bible into the Bribri language. Now in this particular community, every single year in the rainy season, the rivers would swell. They would overflow their banks and their villages, their huts would get wiped out. Every single year for generations, they would have to rebuild their village, rebuild their huts every single year. Now let me tell you how the gospel was contextualized there. When they came to know the fullness of scripture, they deeply resonated with the flood story in Genesis. They deeply resonated with the, the covenant that God made with humanity that he would never flood the entire earth again. So they deeply resonated with this creator God that would never let the waters rise so much to completely destroy them. And then they deeply resonated with this one point in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says there's two different types of people. There's people who hear my teaching and that's it. And they've built their house on sand, but when the waters rise and the wind comes and the rain comes down, their house will come crashing down. But there's a different group of people who hear the teachings of Jesus and they put it into practice and it's as if they've built their house on solid rock and no matter how much rain or wind or waters rise, that house will stand firm. We were part of many, many teams that came in not only sharing the gospel but rebuilding their village 
on stilts and concrete. So it wasn't the book of Isaiah. It was the flood story in Genesis and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus and Matthew and followers of Jesus just being open to being led by the Spirit who found that if we just build their huts, their church on stilts, that's how we can serve them. And the amount of people that in this village and in the river up, upstream who came to Christ was remarkable. And the way through translators I heard them talk about Jesus was so different than how I would talk about Jesus. And yet I knew that it was the same Jesus who was not made in my image, but I'm made in God's image. And it reminds me when I go to Uganda, when I go to Kenya, when I go to Northern Ireland, when I go down to Costa Rica, when I go to Brazil, that there is this great and glorious God who is the Lord of all creation who says, I don't come from any culture or country or place. I come from a heavenly place to you and through you. And you've got to understand that Luke is being very specific here, that all the walls that we build up as earthly humans are nothing compared to the Spirit of God moving to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts 1.8? Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Some of you perhaps are like that eunuch. You've searched for in your career or in power, whatever it might be, and you are at the end of your road. You haven't found peace. You haven't found joy. You are spiritually searching. There is a God who sees you, who loves you. Perhaps the timing for you to be here right now in this place is for you to hear the voice of God saying, you belong in my family. I died for you. I love you. I adore you. I can give you a peace that surpasses all of an understanding, and through faith and trust in Jesus, like that eunuch, you can be made whole today in him. But some of you perhaps are like Philip. You've been following Jesus for a while. Would you be open to the Spirit of God leading you in ways that you can't control, that you can't orchestrate, that likely will cause you to go outside your comfort zone, that won't make sense, that won't be rational, that might be going to people that God is working in their lives that look differently, that talk differently, that vote differently than you? Would you be open to it? Please say yes, because you're missing out on life. This is such a challenge to me. Because to say it this way, I got a little Ethiopian eunuch in me and I got a little Philip in me. There are things that I think will give me power and, and security and, and significance. And apart from Jesus, they're nothing. They're shadows, they're counterfeit. Yes, and at the same time, I, I, I'm like Philip, where, where the Spirit of God is tugging me, pulling me to have that conversation, speak that truth in love, reconcile with that person. And I want to be like Philip who gets up and goes, who doesn't just walk next to the chariot, who runs. Amen. And I know you want that too. Yes. So let's pray for that desperately now. Let's pray. Jesus, you have come not only as a suffering servant, but as a mighty warrior, as the Prince of Peace, as the King of Kings, you have come to meet us in the midst of all of our brokenness and all of our needs. May we have humility like that Ethiopian eunuch to desperately say, I need help.
And may we find that help in you. May we have the boldness like Philip, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it isn't rational, to listen to and follow your leading, Holy Spirit. May we see you, Jesus, high and lifted up in all that we do as we follow you every day and everywhere with everyone. Jesus, spread the gospel through us individually and as a church. Let us see others the way you see them. It's in your miraculous name we pray, Jesus. We all say together, amen.